Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Congressman Ro Khanna is with us. He represents the 17th District of California. He's the vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. His website, Khanna, K-H-A-N-N-A dot house dot gov. You can tweet him at Rep. Ro Khanna. Congressman, welcome back to the program. What's at the top of your list of things that you would like to point out or make sure we don't miss here in our conversation today before we start picking up phone calls. Well, good to be back on. First, let me just thank you, Tom, and your uh, listeners, because the conversation we had about the uh, post office and not privatizing it and how other agencies don't have to make revenue helped inform my questioning to DeJoy, so I uh, appreciated that. Oh, you were absolutely brilliant with that. Thank you. You were, were helpful, and your listeners were helpful in sharing that. There are two things I'm focused on today. One, the entire RNC, for all the talk of law and order, there was not a single word about a vigilantism and the actual vigilantism that is anti-police and anti-government. And it just seems to me that this is an area we ought to be talking about, that the, the hypocrisy of the Republican Party that is draping themselves on a law and order message and not acknowledging the real violence and the cause of the violence is a lot of these right-wing vigilante groups. The second thing is, of course, we're still working on the stimulus deal in, in Congress every day that goes by more people face eviction. That is a huge crisis, both from a moral perspective and a perspective of them being able to vote in the November election. And so something has to be done on getting relief to people in the next few weeks. It seems to me at times that Trump is trying to sabotage this country so that if Joe Biden becomes president, he will inherit a much bigger mess than even what Trump has. You know, you've got 30 million people, I believe, at at risk for eviction. They've cut off the $600 a week that was supporting our economy. Chairman Powell is still continuing to print money and use it to support the stock market, but he has not guaranteed that he will do that after the election. I see a disaster coming that it seems to me is intentionally creating. Am Am I being paranoid here? No, I mean, I think he's certainly intentionally creating a disaster or propping up the economy to the election. And on the evictions, I think he he views it as not his base. Those are not people who are going to vote for him. The Democrats and progressives have been talking about not having an inflation standard uh, for years. And conveniently, Powell suddenly starts talking about that two months before an election. And then all of the printed money is going basically to prop up the markets, but none of it is really going to people who need the assistance in terms of rent and unemployment. It's a very cynical strategy, I think, up to November. 
think the challenge is that we have to figure out how do we message beyond GDP in the stock market, because there are many people, even working class folks, who look at those two metrics still as indicative of the economy. I absolutely agree. Judy in Denver, you are on the air with Congressman Kana. Thank you for bringing up helping the American people. We've had, what, a new bill is being talked about by Nancy and Trump and Mnuchin, I guess. And so far, the only help anybody's gotten is a small number of the unemployed, which we have over 65 million unemployed, and only a small number got any help. Is this bill going to help all the unemployed that need the help? Please. Judy, a very small number of people have gotten any help with the executive order that Trump did because it was less than five states, I think, are participating, and even that has been very slow. There's a simple thing we need to do, which is just extend the $600 a week for anyone who is unemployed. And it's good not just for the people who are unemployed, it's good for the economy because they're going to spend that money. They're not going to put that money in the stock market or save it. They're going to buy things, and that creates uh, more jobs. So this has been what the speaker has been pushing for uh, from the beginning. And, you know, we're going to try, continue to try to get something done. Dennis in Crystal River, Florida, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. Hi, thank you, Congressman, for taking my call. I'm calling about the new stimulus bill that it's talking about right now. I've heard nobody mention a multi-employment pension fund for the Teamsters. we got 400,000 Teamsters that are going to be out of a pension very shortly, and there's nothing being done, but all these big corporations are getting all these kind of breaks. Is there anything that can be done? Or I don't know. I just haven't heard anything about it from anybody. Well, Dennis, thanks for raising it. I'm on a bill that Richie Neal and others have led, Tim Ryan, to provide support for those pension funds because they do face a crisis of insolvency. That has not been part of the stimulus negotiation, but I agree with you, it should be. I mean, if financial banks can be bailed out, certainly we should be providing support for workers. It's passed, been taken up in the House, but I agree with you that we should try to make it part of the stimulus negotiation. Rosetta in Beaverton, Oregon. You are on the air with Congressman Kana. Hi, Congressman. I'm wondering why people don't talk about drive-through voting. We could be handing people clipboards in their cars, having them fill them out, and then putting them in a box, maybe have a Republican and a Democrat sitting next to the box to keep things safe. And we could be doing this over 14 days prior so that we can count them all before the election. Rosetta, it's a great idea, and it's, I think, in line with the idea of leaving places where people can vote early, either in person or dropping something off, dropping their absentee ballots off. I think the challenge here is not the logistics as much as the political will. I mean, you have Republican state legislatures in some of these places that don't want to make voting easier, don't want to make it easier for people to be able to drop off ballots or to vote earlier, they're making it harder because they think that advantages them. And they're going to continue to do this, right? They see the same polling. They know Trump is not going to win the popular vote. They're hoping to eke out wins in these battleground states, and and that relies on voter suppression. Yeah, absolutely. Kino in Lakeland, Florida. You are on the air with Congressman Connor. Okay, I'm the Moose Herder Republican who wants reform in the party. I want Congressman Connor to ask. I was contacted by somebody from the 
Biden campaign. And I'm pushing the idea that where the Republicans are talking about law and order, Democrats can say the need for humane law and order. Couldn't Congress can agree that the Democrats should start countering the Republicans by saying humane law and order? I think that's a great point. I think we could talk about a humane law and order. We could talk about a law and order in ways that are going to reduce violence. I mean, there are a lot of police officers who have uh, implemented better practices and that that has actually made uh, those communities safer. We should be highlighting that uh, this is actually going to improve safety and decrease violence. But we shouldn't let the Republican propaganda go unanswered. Brian in Aliso Viejo, California. You're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Hi, Congressman. I called uh, Governor Newsom's office to recommend you for Kamala Harris's replacement in the Senate come January. I would encourage any Californians listening to do the same. I got right through it. It took me less than a minute. I don't know if you're familiar with Tom's book, The Last Hours of Ancient Sunlight. I'm actually working to produce a screenplay I wrote based on it to bring national awareness to the importance of passing a national carbon tax, taxing CO2 polluters and funding renewable alternatives to fossil fuels with the tax dollars. California has already passed one. I know you prioritize battling climate change. Given how many Republicans in Congress are in Big Oil's pocket, what are the chances, assuming we can take the Senate, of passing a national carbon tax? Well, first of all, Brian, thank you for your kind comments. I believe a a carbon tax is absolutely essential, and we can structure it in a way that it falls on the polluters and the wealthy and isn't affecting working-class Americans. And the reason it's essential is you have to incentivize the market to invest in solar and and wind and and alternatives. It's not enough uh, just to have massive government investment. You want to change the structural incentives. I do believe that it's possible, especially if we take the Senate. I'm cautiously optimistic. Gary in Arlington Heights, Illinois, you are on the air with Congressman Khan. A little less than a minute, Gary. Got a quick one? Congressman, I'm very disappointed in the Senate hearings and the post office and the House hearings, I'm sorry, weren't much better. Are you going to settle for that empty promise that DeJoy gave you that if you gave him a billion dollars, he'd replace the machines? Gary, well, I appreciate that. You know, the challenge is that we have to, he's given that promise under oath, we have to uh, enforce it. And the Congress's ability to enforce is limited under our current system. But no, I don't trust him. And we have to be vigilant and continue to put the pressure. Tim in St. Cloud, Minnesota, you are on the air with Congressman Kana. Okay, so let's just say, God forbid, that President Trump wins again. And then let's say that Democrats take over the Senate. How would that work out exactly? It's interesting you say that because there was someone else just this morning who was talking about that. I think it's unlikely that would happen, but it's possible. It would at least be a check on the president's abuses. But the challenge is that if you're not willing to convict on impeachment, what we've seen is the limits of what Congress can do under the current system. President who is willing to basically defy the law, saying, "Okay, you can't remove me. I'm going to do what I want to do. There may be legislative checks if he doesn't have the Senate, but it's not going to prevent the abuse of the executive power that he has shown a willingness to use. Drew in Bedminster, New Jersey, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. We've got about 180,000 people who died from COVID because of that lunatic in the White House, the majority of them anyway. And I'm one of those family members who passed away. 
supposedly there's a bill or part of the bill that's going to have help for funding for that because many of us have had to spend like over $10,000 for unexpected funerals. I'm wondering if you know what the status of that part of the bill is, and just imagine the goodwill it would create for over 180,000 families. Well, Drew, first of all, I'm very sorry for your loss. Uh, you're right. I mean, it is one of the things that being a member of Congress, you, you hear a lot of people's stories and the amount of suffering, the amount of people who know someone uh, who has passed away uh, passed away because of COVID or has been on a ventilator or very sick. Uh, it's it's staggering. I mean, it's uh, almost everyone you talk to knows someone who has been affected. Uh, I think that would be a, a, a very good idea to, to provide financial relief for people who have had to uh, have funerals, many of them uh, virtual or not being able to do it in a proper way. Uh, people haven't been able to grieve in the way that uh, uh, is necessary. Uh, so I will look into whether that is part of the stimulus uh, negotiations or separate, uh, but certainly I would support an initiative like that. Elaine in Amherst, Massachusetts, you're on the air with Congressman Kana. So I guess my question for you, Congressman, is let's just hope and pray and, and whatnot that, you know, come uh, post-election, uh, things go well for the nation and new new congressmen are seated. Um, and I forget, uh, apologize for my, for my ignorance, I forget when everyone is seated and, and begins. And I realize there's also the Senate and, of course, the presidency. So let's just say things turn out well. Um, at what point will they be fully uh, like ready to go in the beginning, or will there be so much backlog that needs to be dealt with to start, you know, affecting positive change and, and getting our nation out of some of the messes we're in? I guess that's the question. Elena, especially if we could take the Senate, there is a lot of legislation that is ready to go. I mean, the House has passed massive uh, campaign finance reform. We passed uh, laws to uh, tackle police violence, to change the standard of force. We have. Uh, pass laws to raise the minimum wage to $15. So there is a lot of legislation that is uh, would clear the House quickly within the first 100 days. And if it could clear the Senate, uh, you could see a very, very strong uh, first 100 days of a, of a Biden presidency, which is why even Bernie Sanders has said that Biden has the potential uh, to be uh, as progressive a president as, as FDR, the most progressive president since FDR, uh, if the stars align and if they adopt a, a progressive agenda. When in Solon, Maine, you are on the air with Congressman Connor. Representative Connor, there was a news item the other day that I heard, but haven't heard too much more about it got very little airplay in any of the news, and it has to do with the CDC dropping the requirement uh, about people entering the United States and having to undergo a 14-day quarantine period, and that they've eradicated that as a, as a requirement for people coming into the country. Have you heard anything about that or and know where that even came from? When I have not uh, looked into that, I'm happy to, to look into that. It seems to me uh, we should be still cautious. And I think if that has happened, I know the CDC has been getting tremendous pressure uh, to do things that would uh, boost temporarily the economy and deprioritize uh, uh, safety. So I, uh, I have to look into that, but I, uh, I don't think necessarily that's a good thing. Lisa, in Piedmont, California, a minute to the break. Lisa, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. 
Hi, thanks for taking my call. My question has to do with down-ballot candidates. I'd like to know what the Democratic Party and or the progressive wing are doing to promote down-ballot candidates and also to help fill the gaps up and down the ballot in a lot of states that have no one, you know, going against a Republican. Thank you. This is a great question. We need to do much more on down-ballot uh, candidates, particularly with state legislature uh, races. I mean, if you look at Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Florida, all those state legislatures are uh, are Republican. And that's a big challenge as we're looking at who's going to certify these results. So uh, there needs to be an effort, and the DNC has started it, but I think it needs to be much more broad-based uh, to really compete uh, on those down-ballot races. Congressman Ro Khanna, the vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, representing the Silicon Valley area of California in the U.S. House of Representatives, is with us taking a national town hall meeting conversation with you. We'll be back with more of your calls for Congressman Khanna in just a moment. Stick around. We'll be right back. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. And with NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Congressman Ro Khanna is with us taking your calls for the hour. Beverly in Missoula, Montana. You're on the air with Congressman Khanna. I would like to ask the congressman if they could get mayors more involved with the police as to protect the protesters. Uh, in Kenosha, protesters tried to disarm that kid, and they got hurt and killed. And that's police work to disarm these bad people. It just thinks that things are different now with 
Trump militants and Tifa, uh, the militia, maybe the cops need to do it a little different and show some camaraderie with Black Lives, Black Black Lives Matter and the protesters. I think that's very well said. I really can't add much to that because I think you're absolutely right. We need to have the mayors working with the police to protect the protesters. It's not uh, Black Lives Matter, that, uh, the protesters that are creating the violence or that are the, the anti-police uh, uh, forces. It's many of these are right-wing uh, forces, as we saw in uh, with the 17-year-old who uh, basically opened fire uh, on protesters. And where were the police uh, in terms of protecting uh, the police, uh, the, the protesters? So there's been total misdirection uh, in blaming the protesters for violence that often is being caused uh, by right-wing provocateurs. Cindy in Grizzly Flats, California. You're on the air with Congressman Connor. Yes, thank you for both of you for what you do. I'm curious, Congressman, I have written five letters to my Congress members during uh, the COVID problem, mostly regarding uh, another COVID assistance payment to all Americans. It's been five months since we've received the first $1,200 payment, and not all Americans are on unemployment, and they're starving. So I'm wondering what actually happens to my letters that go to Congress because I just get standard standard letters back that really aren't answering my inquiry. Who reads them, and am I wasting my time? Well, Cindy, first of all, I fear, share your frustration, and I uh, empathize. I mean, I imagine it's got to be uh, very uh, upsetting that you are sending letters, you're advocating, and nothing seems to get done. And the it's been, uh, as you put it, months since... Uh, We've had relief and people are hurting. Uh, your letter is read. Uh, it's read probably by some staff member on your uh, in your congressperson's uh, in the congressperson's office. But it does make a difference because it shows the uh, urgency that uh, uh, exists and and how much people are are hurting. But we have unfortunately Mitch McConnell and and Trump who really don't care about public opinion. I mean, I know po- people almost always b- blame politicians for caring too much about the polls. I wish, I wish Mitch McConnell cared more about the polls because he's resisting policies that uh, the American people want. Kevin in Boynton Beach, Florida, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. Their survival rate count uh, from COVID-19 is over 5 million people. What will happen to these people uh, who now have pre-existing conditions under the Republican Party? Uh, will their pre-existing conditions be ignored, or will, be the, will they be addressed when they come later to the doctor's office five months from now or two months from now with breathing problems, respiratory issues, heart problems? Uh, under pre-existing conditions, will this now be classified as a pre-existing condition, and how will they be treated? Thank you very much. Well, Kevin, it's a very uh, good question. Under uh, the Affordable Care Act, uh, there is uh, it is illegal to discriminate against someone based on their pre-existing conditions or to deny them insurance or charge them more. The uh, complete hypocrisy of Donald Trump saying that he was not going to uh, discriminate against pre-existing conditions last night in his convention speech, while his own administration is in court trying to kill the Affordable Care Act that provides people with those provisions uh, was astounding. And so 
if the Trump administration succeeds in that lawsuit and get, gutting the Affordable Bill Care Act, then there would be no protection for people with uh, pre-existing conditions, which is why it's so important that we uh, do everything we can to, to protect the Affo- Affordable Care Act. Dennis in Hartford, Connecticut, you're on the air with Congressman Khanna. How well do you think progressives are actually being represented in the Biden campaign um, and what they're putting forth so far? Dennis, it's a, a very fair question, uh, and I, I think the task forces were very constructive that uh, uh, Biden and, and Bernie put together. Bernie uh, had a lot of uh, input in who was in those task forces. Uh, and some of the policies, particularly on labor, on a $15 living wage, on cl- classification of employees, uh, on the ability to collectively bargain, uh, have been uh, strong. There are other areas, uh, of course, where uh, I'd like uh, to see a, a broader progressive direction. But, uh, you know, right now we have to be united to, to beat Trump. Uh, and then there's going to be plenty of time to uh, make sure that our progressive priorities are addressed. Peter in Dotham, Alabama, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. What would happen to the recipients of Social Security and Medicare if the payroll tax was eliminated? Thank you. Peter, if the payroll tax was eliminated, Social Security by 2023 would uh, would go bankrupt. So there's no way that's going to be uh, eliminated. Uh, the Trump administration, if he gets another term, may try to cut it, which would make it very hard uh, to con- keep the benefits as are. What we need to be doing instead is expanding uh, Social Security, uh, especially um, given the uh, amount of poor uh, elderly uh, that, that that are there and or people who are elderly and don't have enough savings. Do you see that happening? I do think that there can be an openness to the expansion of Social Security. I think that's a place where the Democrats, the progressives have won the debate. And there's really no reason, there's really no actual debate on the solvency of Social Security. It is so simple. If you just lift the cap of people making over at 250000 you can expand Social Security and it'd be solvent for decades. Amen. Dave in Pasadena, California, you're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Is Congress going to put forward legislation to repeal the bill that W created, which crippled the post office by having them put aside 75 years of pensions? And I I know it's going to sit on McConnell's desk, but it will also make... um, Boscow Mitch look bad not doing anything. And many people don't even know about this bill and think that the post office is, a, is an old business model. Thank you. David, it's an excellent point. I've been raising it any time I can. You would never require any business to put aside money for 75 years of pension payments or retirement. That is what was done in 2006 to handcuff the Postal Service, uh, basically to uh, force uh, privatization. Uh, we should uh, repeal that law, uh, and I think it's a good idea to pass it in the House and then put the pressure on McConnell to do something. Is that, I keep getting conflicting answers to this question, is that bill still law? Are they still deducting money, or has, did that get renewed? I, I, I think it was passed under reconciliation, only lasted 10 years, but I keep hearing from people that it's, they're still pulling money out of the post office. Which is it? My understanding is that they're still pulling money out of the post office, can double check on that, but that is my understanding and certainly the implication from the hearings with DeJoy. John in Hammond, Indiana, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. Trump is using the uh, law and order methodology that Nixon used, you know, 
in 68. And the Democratic Party has got to come up with a plan. I live in the Chicagoland area. There's a fear of rioting. And uh, I remember the riots of 68, and when the, when the National Guard was put out, they had martial law. And after the first person was shot, the rioting and the looting stopped. So I don't want to go to that extreme, but we have to have a, what would be our position on law and order? Because this is what they're using all, for the last four days. That's all they said was law and order. What is, how are we going to counter that? That's my question. John, it's a fair question, and I, I think Vice President Biden should go to Kenosha, go to Wisconsin, meet with the small business owners there, meet with law enforcement there, meet with the protesters and with the families there, and say that uh, he, uh, like Jacob's mother, uh, believes that uh, we need healing, we don't need violence, and that he will make sure uh, that we have responsible uh, law enforcement that's consistent with uh, our constitutional values and it will b- bring people together and that he's not going to engage in the divisive rhetoric that is really tearing this country apart and contributing uh, to the violence. Because a lot of the violence, as I've pointed out, is being done by uh, vigilantes who have uh, taken uh, law enforcement into their own hands. The violence isn't being done uh, it, it, proportionately by protesters. It's being done a lot by these right-wing groups that want to see uh, a uh, escalation of, of conflict. What should we be looking at over the next week or doing? Well, the biggest priority in the, over the next week is to, to finally get some relief for, our, for people who are unemployed, for people who are facing uh, an eviction crisis as we get to September 1st and rent is due. Uh, for the cities and states that are, in some cases, going back to school, remote school, don't have the funding for uh, remote learning, don't have the funding for training, uh, we need to pass the stimulus bill. Amen. Congressman Ro Khanna, thank you so much for dropping by today. Thanks, Tom. Always great to be on. It is always a pleasure to have you on. Thank you very much. And, uh, you know, we really appreciate all the work that you're doing. Charles in Dallas, Texas. Hey, Charles, what's up? First of all, I've listened to you for a lot of years. I've always enjoyed you. I am going to vote. This is not one of those conversations where I'm going to say at the end, I'm not going to vote. For the memory of Fannie Lou Hamer, Mega Edwards, Martin Luther King, I will crawl through glass in order to vote. I am a little bit disappointed, however, as I rush with Tom Perez and the DNC. In the state of Texas, I am seeing more from the Lincoln Project than I am from the DNC. Right now, uh, with the RNC convention going on, if you want to call it a convention, it seems to be the black people are coming convention more than anything else. And as an African-American person, I find that very insulting. Right now, because of Donald Trump's history with COVID being an out and out, just a, a in your face disgrace because of. Real quick, I'm almost done. Roger Stone found guilty on all seven counts, and Caesar, his friend, pardons him. I'm going down my list. We have Papadopoulos, Manafort, Michael Flynn on his way to jail. All these people going to jail or been in jail. Rick Gates, Bertuswan, and then we. Last of all, we have Russian bounties being put on the lives of American soldiers, and Donald Trump does not hardly say anything to Vladimir Putin, his good buddy. So this is no longer a democratic republic. This is Caligula, Nero, 
you know what? I'm tired of it because I got four grandsons and I'm voting if I have to crawl through glass. Love you, Tom. Yeah. Take care. I'm with you, Charles. Thank you. Thanks for the comments. I'm telling you, it's tough. Stephen Colbert came on TV and said, you know, I didn't even bother watching it because I knew it was all going to be lies. And I'm like, I wish I had done that. <laughs> I wish I had not watched it. Brian in Lake Worth, Florida. Hey, Brian, what's on your mind this morning? Thanks for watching. Oh, hi, Tom. Uh, yeah, I just want to make a couple of real quick points. And it's a warning pretty much to the people in Florida. Florida is extremely important to Donald Trump for winning this election. I mean, if he doesn't win Florida, he's not going to win. And I think we're going to see history repeating itself. Back when George W. Bush was running for president, he had his brother Jeb installed as governor for Florida for the sole purpose of ensuring he would win Florida. And Florida is notorious for machine tampering. Well, it wasn't just machine tampering, Brian. His brother threw 90,000 African-Americans off the voting rolls in the three months before the election by saying that they had the same names as felons in Texas and felons can't vote in Florida either. And therefore, they were all felons from Texas who had moved to Florida and they had to be purged from the voting rolls. So, so, you know, if they showed up, they were not allowed to vote. That's that's the thing that really pushed Bush to the point where the Supreme Court could help him steal the election. Right. You know, I get it that there are concerns about the machines, and some of those have been documented. But this was the big one. Yeah, voter suppression, but uh, also beware of the machine tampering. And I I, I imagine that Florida is going to be the reason why we're not going to know the election results after November 3rd. Again, it's going to turn to Florida, and Florida's going to be all screwed up. And probably go to the Supreme Court, and who knows which way they'll go. But if history repeats itself, they will declare Trump the winner. Yeah, I think we can we can safely probably predict that. Brian, do you have any specific evidence of this, or is this just your concern, your fear as a Floridian? No, no, I, I was there during the Bush election. I was a registered Republican up until the election with George W. Bush. I'll never forget it. All I heard was, stop counting votes, stop counting votes, stop counting votes. Two days right. after I voted for George W. Bush, I wanted my vote back. That's how bad it was. And I became a Mm. a Democrat after that. Wow. Wow. I know their tricks. Yeah. As a Floridian there, are you seeing, obviously, you know, Ron DeSantis is playing all kinds of games around COVID-19 and testing and, you know, lying about statistics and hiding numbers and things like that. But with regard to the election, are you seeing specific actions that they're taking right now that are problematic? No, nobody will either. Nobody will. It'll all happen on election day. Until after the election, when we discover what the, how, how extensive the purge was, is that what you're talking about? Right. Unless we have a team, and I mean a knowledgeable team, a strong team of people monitoring Florida, yeah, uh, they're going to get away with I'm it with again. You. I mean, it wasn't until six months after the election in 2000, when Greg Palast broke the story on BBC, how George W. Bush stole that election with the help of Catherine Harris down there in Florida. Bill in St. Helens, Oregon. Hey, Bill, what's up? U.S. Constitution, Article 2, quick. He shall take care that the laws be faithfully executed. Donald Trump just didn't right. violate the Hatch Act. He initiated the violation by probably hundreds of other people. There's no investigation there. That's an impeachable offense. He not only failed to uphold the law, he actually encouraged, let's go to the next one. And he shall not receive within that period any other emollient by the United States or any of them. Trump and the Republican Party pimped out the White House for private use and gain. 
you can't get more PR than the White House of the people of the United States of America. So this is obvious, clear violation of the emollients clause. I would like to have talked to Representative Pocan about this, but I don't know what there is to investigate. Why aren't articles of impeachment being drafted as we speak? This man can't make it to November. He's got to be removed now. They're not doing the articles of impeachment because, you know, it's a political campaign and they, we just have two months and they don't want to screw anything up or make things worse for Democrats or whatever. I mean, fill in the blanks. Although I think that they should be. I think they should be getting this stuff on the record. But I understand what they're saying and why they're saying it. Thanks a lot, Bill. Donald in Charlotte, North Carolina. Hey, Donald, what's up? Yes, I just want to make a statement about the hypocritical speech that Evanda gave on the other night. You know, they were saying, I heard that they said that she was attempting to try to bring back some of the suburban mothers back to Donald Trump's camp. But, you know, I hope that the suburban mothers who are going to vote for Joe Biden, they don't fall for the okey-doke from this woman because it was a hypocritical speech. If she was so concerned about children, then why would she wear that controversial jacket down to the border and why would she not speak out against the clown of a husband of hers who were taking children from their mothers who had crossed over trying to come to this country for a better life? You know, this I, it, is it, a woman who is a gold digger and a grifter herself. She married a billionaire for his money. She stayed in New York for six months until she forced him to increase the amount of money that she would get in the prenup after they left the White House. That's what's going on here. You've got an entire family of grifters. I missed your first couple of words, Donna. I thought you were talking about nepotism Barbie, you know, his daughter, whose great claim to fame is that she makes plastic handbags ripped off from other designers. But you're talking about Melania. And yeah, I, I have absolutely no respect for this woman. I, you know, I tried I tried to to have some sympathy for her. Oh my God, she's married to Donald. And then it struck me, she's being very well paid to be married to Donald. She has been through the whole thing. You know, she's a grifter just like he is. And you know, while we typically defer to first ladies, I don't think that we've ever had a first lady who was just so nakedly gold digger. It's just, it's just astonishing. I realize that that term may have sexist implications. Obviously there are men who do the same thing who marry very wealthy women for their money. So, you know, I stand behind it. Dennis in Long Island, New York. Hey, Dennis, what's on your mind today? I was wondering if you could update us on the status of the investigation into that dog the president said received the mail-in ballot. Who registered that dog and what government official accepted that registration? Right. And did that dog vote? I mean, that's the big question, Dennis. There is absolutely no doubt that particularly in states that have where you don't have to ask for a ballot, but you automatically receive a ballot, that ballots are going to be sent out to people who have died or people who have moved. 
That does not mean that the citizens of that state, Oregon is an example. I live in Oregon. I know that they do their very best to keep the list clean. But when Louise and I left Oregon, what, six, seven, no, like 10 years ago and moved to Washington, D.C. for seven years, we didn't tell Oregon we were gone. And I'm guessing that they probably sent a ballot to us the following year. Now, it probably got returned as undeliverable, and therefore they took us off the list. But, you know, it might have been delivered to the people who've occupied the house that we sold. But are they going to vote in my name and try to forge my signature to an envelope? Of course not. It's not going to happen. It's going to get thrown away. And that's the piece of the story that just doesn't get discussed. You know, Trump and these other people go out and they say, oh, yeah, you know, my dog got, you know, this was what Jared Kushner was saying on TV over the weekend when he was on Jake Tapper's show, as I recall. And, And he was like, Well, you know, I've got two friends in New Jersey who both got a ballot that was skeezy somehow. You know, it was for their dog or it was for somebody. And he says, no, I don't have that many friends in New Jersey. Well, the question is not did they get a ballot. That's sort of like, you know, okay, I can drive by a voting location. The question is, do I park my car and go in and vote? just because I'm able to drive by a voting location that's not the place where I normally vote. I might be able to vote a second time if I go to that place. No, people don't do that. I mean, just think about it for a moment and you get how crazy this is. Scott in Portland. Hey, Scott, what's on your mind today? Watching the RNC. The first couple speakers I found kind of interesting and telling because there was a lot of people I didn't know and they're all singing praises and got this and got that. And then we got to Matt Getz and Gates and uh, I expected to see a Nazi flag unfurl behind him. He's, he's, mm. he's kind of like Tom Cotton. Ignore these guys at your own peril because by the time he's done you go back and listen to it, he gets it turns into this call for action. Basically, he's saying, if we lose, we have nowhere to go. There's nothing if we don't win. You know, we have to stand up. It was drawn battle lines. It was really pretty remarkable. They can do what the old Nazis did. They can all go to Brazil. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. And I, th- I think that's probably, <laughs> that's probably part of their playbook, because that's what they're doing. But there's, everything these guys do, it's, just, it's so mobbed up. You just got to look at it through the lens of a mob family and a mob organization. It's so telling. Yeah. These are strange yeah. times. They are. We're living through historic times, Scott. There will be history books written about this year, and it's important, I think, for us Absolutely. to not only assess it in that context, but also to speak out and, and be agents of change in the context of it. Scott, thank you. Thank you for the call. Yeah, I, w- I was pretty flipped out by Matt Gates last night, too. James in Michigan City, Indiana. Hey, James, thanks for watching Free Speech. What's up? You seem to be implying, or even more so, that older voters in this country are a democratic demographic. And if you really break it down by age groups, the Republicans do very well with older voters. And I just want to kind of look straight in the record about that. And, you know, really, I mean, you put that in your book, which takes balls, as they say. And what do you have to say about that? The fact of the matter is, James, that older voters do vote Social Security and Medicare. And that's my point. When the Republicans are actively attacking Social Security and Medicare, older voters flee the Republicans. When Democrats are promoting Social Security and Medicare, they do well with older voters. And increasingly now that the Republican Party is explicitly 
opposed to Medicare and Medicaid. They've been for years trying to dance around this. Oh, we support it and we, you know, we're going to strengthen it and all this kind of stuff. And increasingly older voters are figuring out that that's a scam. You're absolutely right that if you look at the demographic of Fox News viewers, for example, you know, the average age of somebody watching Fox is 70 or 71 years old. There are a lot of old right wingers, but I don't think that that voting block is anywhere near as monolithic as you're characterizing. Well, there's still, I mean, there's still mostly uh, Republican older voters. You know, that's all I'm saying. Depends on where you, you are in the country. Changing. But, you know, yeah, I'm not disputing that. What I am saying, though, is that when the issue becomes things like Medicare and Medicaid, older voters will abandon the Republican Party well, to I make have. sure that those programs are covered. James, thanks a lot for the call. Pauline in Los Angeles. Hey, Pauline, what's up? If Democrats win back presidency and keep the House and the Senate, I think we need to pass a new act that not only restores the post office, but restructures it and gives it more authority to manage and execute all federal elections by mail. Not to say that there won't be still state-run elections in person that will be managed by the states and local, but if putting into the federal power to have all mail voting managed and oversight by the federal government by the post office. And that would include I agree. Making, making departments of oversight for anti-fraud, cybersecurity, and ballot counting to avoid yeah, the, what you've been talking about, the I, local and state not ratifying the, yeah, the I agree, Pauline. I think that the post office also should be providing us with high-speed broadband nationwide, And I think that the post office should also be offering low-cost postal banking services to people who don't have enough money to have a regular banking account. I completely agree with you that increasingly the mail is the essential part of our voting infrastructure. In five of our states, it is, I mean, there's no longer in-person voting, or at least in Oregon and in Washington state. The other three states, they may still have a voting booth someplace, but by and large, it has become essential infrastructure. Spot on, Pauline. Thank you. Brian in Tacoma, Washington. Hey, Brian, what's up? Hey, um, yeah, I would like to encourage your listeners to test the post office in the way that I just tested it. I sent a letter to myself, um, and it took a week to get back to to me. And the, the postmark on the top said it went from Washington State to Texas and back to Washington State and took a week. Um, so Whoa. a lot of people are sort of, yeah, exactly. And I, I so a lot of people are sort of saying, like, Oh, I hear the post office and this and that. It's a lot of hearsay. But every single person can test it from themselves, from their own home, and it would have the side benefit of helping the post office a little bit. Um, But I think we need to be mounting this evidence. I'm keeping the letter with the postmark on it. There's no reason it should go to Texas from my house in Washington. So, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, you know, that, that, that's remarkable, Brian. And yes, you know, we, we do need to be uh, uh, figuring out what's going on here. Rose in Sierra County, New Mexico. Hey, Rose, what's up? I'm concerned very much for my safety and the safety of a lot of people in the area. If Biden wins, there are crazies here who are heavily armed who have said, a neighbor of mine in my presence said that he will gather up his considerable arsenal and run around looking for liberals to shoot. I landed here by accident, and as soon as the virus clears, I'm going to move somewhere else. But this is Mm. terrifying. These people will do anything, he said. 
There is a faction that openly wants civil war. They are promoting civil war, a racially based civil war. They're aggressively promoting it. There have been news stories about this. I mean, just, just uh, you know, Google Boogaloo Boys. I mean, this is a meme that has been floating around the dark underbelly of the conservative movement and the militia movement since I was growing up in Michigan in the 60s, late 60s and early 70s. I knew people in the Michigan militia who would go out on the weekends and do military training, weapons training, who were planning for the time when the liberals took over America and they were going to be ready to shoot back. And they've been, they've been planning for this for a long time. And a it should give all of us people, pause. Yeah. yeah, a lot of these folks are very heavily armed. They're very into the whole Second Amendment thing. And I've had to build mm-hmm. myself a considerable closet. Um, nobody knows what my political leanings are. We've had a number of people call in and say, I haven't seen that many Biden signs. I'm seeing Trump signs all over the place. And I think that's because the bullies are empowered and and people who are not bullies are frankly concerned that if they put a Biden sign out in front of their house, their house is going to get trashed. You know, I think they're still going to vote. And, you know, we still have a a secret vote or something that resembles that. But, uh, you know, this is this is serious stuff. Rose, thank you for the call. I don't have an easy solution for this. I don't have an easy answer, and I don't think buying guns is the answer. Danita in Bremerton, Washington. Hey, Danita, what's up? Oh, hi, Tom. Thank you very much for what you do. Uh, We took you up. We got the information about U.S. mail not for sale. We got online. I could find out that there were different zip codes in Charlotte, Ohio, and where we were in Silverdome, Washington. And we were the only ones who showed up. I don't know whether postal workers were advise not to show up but this was put on by the union but at least my husband and i were out there for an hour and we got people beeping their horns giving us a thumbs up and we got good responses so i don't know whether the postal workers are being held back but it was on i'm guessing i'm guessing that they were afraid of of retribution and retaliation if joe biden wins this election i have a feeling there's going to be just an absolute you know the dam is going to burst there's just going to be a flood of people coming forward saying yeah i wanted to say something but i was afraid just like happened after nazi germany was taken down or mussolini's italy was taken down suddenly there were all these people coming out saying well i was worried too but i was afraid and you know i get that and and i think that there's going to be an awful lot of that going on and probably a lot of those postal workers will fall into that category they you know they had to protect their jobs they've got a kids they've got a home they got a mortgage they got things they have to worry about financially i totally get it it's unfortunate that that's where we're at we'll be right back mayor in allentown pennsylvania hey mayor what's on your mind today i think i saw some voter suppression in action on the bus in allentown it was a bus that was mostly people of color i think everybody was a person of color except for me and this young black man comes on the bus and he's out of nowhere it's a complete non sequitur he starts screaming about how he could never vote for joe biden and then at the end he goes oh i'll vote for trump and people were just i mean they were gnashing their teeth and then he gets out of the bus he was only there for like one stop very suspicious. Yeah. I think this is like his when he came down the elevator and he had the paid clacks there to clap for him. I think this is a mm-hmm. similar situation. And I don't know if you've heard of any of this going on, but I wanted to alert people that if they see this, report it to some reporter or somewhere where we can keep track of it. 
Yeah, or it could have just been, you know, somebody who was mentally ill and was trying to get attention, you know, the, the, the you know, a variation he of the guy who walks down the street talking to himself. No, he didn't strike me as mentally ill. He had the, the sharply focused eyes like he knew what he was doing. That's what makes mm, that's what makes me suspicious. Yeah, I think that so, this is. A so, I mean, those actors, the actors that Trump had hired to be there when he came down the elevator to announce his candidacy were paid fifty dollars an hour. I'm guessing that they could get people to do what you just described for a whole lot less than 50 bucks an hour. That is concerning. Mayor, thanks for the heads up and the warning. Don in uh, Durant, Oklahoma. Hey, Don, what's up? I think uh, the only way that we can save our democracy is to get corporate money and billionaire money out of politics. They seem to buy the judges, and then they got the Citizens United, and we need representatives in there, get judges in to revoke the Citizens United. Yeah, we've got these twin doctrines. One, that corporations are persons, and therefore they're entitled to First Amendment free speech rights, Fourth Amendment privacy rights, Fifth Amendment refusal to incriminate themselves rights, Fourteenth Amendment equal protection rights. That doctrine was invented by the Supreme Court and has no logical basis in American law, but it was created by the Supreme Court back in the 1880s. And then the idea that when billionaires or corporations buy politicians and continue to own them, and those politicians act as wholly owned subsidiaries of those billionaires or corporations, which prior to 1976 was considered bribery or corruption, and people could go to jail for it. In 1976, the Supreme Court said, if it's a billionaire, no problem, that's free speech, that money is not actually money, it's speech. And then two years later in 1978, they said, oh, and by the way, that that applies to corporations too. And then as you correctly point out in 2010, Citizens United just doubled down on all of that and cemented it into law. All of these changes in our political landscape, Don, that came about as a result of these two decisions in the 70s that brought us the Reagan revolution and now have brought us the Trump revolution, or maybe I've got to come up with a better phrase for that, but you know, the, the, this flood of fascism that, that we're watching every night during the RNC, that stuff was never the result of any electoral process. No Americans voted for that. Most Americans strongly disagree with it. We need to have an overwhelming, if we had two-thirds of the House and two-thirds of the Senate and the White House, then maybe we could do something about this. We could pass a constitutional amendment or we could pass court-stripping legislation that simply reverses these laws uh, using Article 3, Section 2. We've got to do something about it because that's the cancer at the core of our democracy, Don, and you absolutely spot-on correctly identified it. Lorraine in San Diego. Hey, Lorraine, thanks for watching Free Speech. What's up? I want to share a deliberate tactic that the post office is employing to discourage use of the post office. And okay. it's happened to me. The post office is returning, deliberately returning pre-sorted first-class mail to the sender. This has been pre-sorted by the machines. And the reason I know this is because I subscribe to a service, a post office service called Informed Delivery, and I'm notified what mail is incoming so I can see what to expect in my mailbox and when I don't get that I let them know that I haven't received it well recently I've received notices primarily from commercial senders like bills and financial institutions that the post office has returned their mail saying that the address is incorrect the address is not incorrect 
So I suspect that this is a deliberate attempt to shift people away from using the mail paper copies to electronic services. Mm -hmm. I prefer the paper notifications because you get the stuffers, you get to see, say, for example, your electric bill. You get to see the breakdown of things. You're not likely to do that if you subscribe, if you do it electronically. You get the little newsletter and stuff. Lorraine, we know that uh, Louis DeJoy and the predecessor have presided over the destruction of over 600 high-speed sorting machines all around the country. And DeJoy, in particular, has done a lot of other steps to slow down the mail in the last few months. The old Republican strategy of starve the beast, as David Stockman laid it out during the Reagan administration when he was Reagan's budget director, was very simple. You damage a government institution, whether it's the post office or the IRS or the Social Security Department or whatever it may be, you damage that government institution so that they can't do their job well. And then when they don't do their job well, the people yell and scream about it. And then you respond to the people by saying, you know, you're absolutely right. They're not doing their job well. We should replace them with this wonderful for-profit company that just happens to sponsor my campaign. And, you know, obviously in the case of Social Security, it would be the big banks. Let's let them take it over. Medicare, it would be the big insurance companies. The post office, it would be Louis DeJoy's company or one of the others, UPS or FedEx. So might it not be that what you're experiencing isn't so much some sort of intentional plan to basically get people who are, you know, recipients of bills and things, you know, pre-sorted first-class mail, but rather is the consequence of the system being squeezed so hard by, by I mean, each one of those 600 machines could sort, what, 30, 40,000 pieces of mail an hour, you know, thousands of times, dozens of times anyway, faster than individuals could. Couldn't it just be that this is the well, result of this campaign that we've seen against the post office since 2006? It's possible, but it should be delivered to my mailbox, not returned to the sender saying the address is incorrect. There's a, a problem yeah. there with the address being incorrect. I'm concerned that the postcards that people are sending out to get people to vote are going to be destroyed, too, that they won't make it to their intended addressees. So I just wanted to share I'm concerned about well. it, too, Lorraine. I am. And, and if you've requested an early ballot and it hasn't arrived yet, you know, double check, call them, raise some hell. Lorraine, thank you. Thank you very much. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. And welcome back, Jeff in Portland, Oregon. Hey, Jeff, thanks for listening to X-Ray FM. What's up? I want to both disagree and agree with Nancy Pelosi as a jumping off point. First, I disagree with her endorsement of Joe Kennedy. I think as the Senate author of the Green New Deal, I, I think Ed Markey's a proven progressive champion and we need him back in the Senate. But where I agree with Speaker Pelosi is in her suggestion that Biden forgoes any debates with Trump. Tom, seeing how Trump literally has no platform at all, all we're going to get from him is our lies and fallacious attacks. So rather than debate a guy whose campaign message is to millions of suffering Americans to let them eat cake. Let's have Biden and Harris focus on an affirmative message. I suggest expanding the Build Back Better slogan to say Build Back Better to an America that works and lays out the national plans to address the four crises Biden identified in his convention speech. A, suppressing the virus. B, fixing the Trump-destroyed economy. C, addressing the racial injustice still 
plaguing the nation 57 years ago. Today, from Dr. King's I Have Dream speech in the March on Washington. And finally, D, taking on the climate crisis. Why not have Biden start promising green jobs for all? What do you think, Tom? Do you see any benefit to debating an arsonist and pathological liar like Donald Trump? <laughs> a couple of thoughts here, Jeff. Number one, typically in a debate situation, the person calling for the debate is the person who is down and needs the publicity. And the person avoiding the debate is the person who typically is the incumbent and has the momentum of office and they don't want the challenger to get the publicity. That dynamic is is kind of been flipped upside down this time around because while Trump's incumbent and has all the benefits of incumbency, he's also way, way down in the polls. So he needs the debate in as much as, you know, he needs to, to clean up his act on the one hand. On the other hand, his comments, Trump's comments the other day that he wants to drug test Biden before he'll debate him. I think that was Donald Trump's way of telling us that he's afraid of debating Biden. And if he could figure out a way to blow it up, he'd go for it. With regard to the equation on Joe Biden's side, you know, we know two things. Number one, we know Joe Biden isn't the best debater in the world. Although my concerns from when he was in the Democratic debate, where it seemed like he was in, you know, off in space at times, now I understand he's been a lifelong stutterer. He has basically a hard time getting thoughts out, you know. So that concerns me, but it doesn't concern me a lot. And I think the convention did a good job of pointing that out, particularly with that little kid who was the stutterer. But the other thing is your point, Jeff, and I completely agree with it, which is Donald Trump will just pull any old thing out of his backside and throw it out as if it was true. And Biden will be reduced to saying that's not true. And Trump will say, yes, it is true. And there's not a moderator. There's not a referee. There's nobody to throw a flag on the play. And so I certainly understand Nancy Pelosi's position. I would not be at all disappointed or bummed out if the debates did not happen. But if Joe Biden is the one who pulls the plug, then Trump and his campaign are going to make the most of that. Every single day you're going to see ads about, you know, what's Biden afraid of? What's he trying to cover up? Why is he hiding? Even if Trump didn't want to do the debate. So Biden can't afford, Biden can't afford to be the guy who says, no, I'm not going to do it. You know, Nancy Pelosi, she has the luxury of offering her opinion. Biden can't. So hopefully we can scare Trump to the point where he'll he'll uh, double down on. I won't do it without the drug test. (laughs) Jeff, thanks for the call. George in Palm Desert, California. Hey, George, what's up? Uh, yeah, just going to mention when Obama was running for president, I put out an Obama sign, uh, a kind of a vacant lot next to my home here, and there was a couple, three Trump signs, but I put up an Obama sign, and of course, it was stolen during the night. So a couple days later, I put another one up, and they stole it again that night. And then when he ran the second time, same thing happened to me. So all these people with the Trump signs out there, I mean, I'm not afraid of them, but they'll just come along and steal Biden's sign. That's what they're doing. So anyway, that's my experience. That may account for it. Okay, George, thank you for that. David Frum has an interesting piece over at The Atlantic. He's now a staff writer with The Atlantic. It's called The Platform the GOP is Too Scared to Publish. Just wanted to flag this for you. I think you'll find it interesting. Again, David Frum, an old line conservative. And basically, he says that these are the things that the Republican Party believes, but they're not going to put in their platform, basically. The most important mechanism of economic policy is adjusting the burden of taxation on America's richest citizens. That's number one. There's like 13 points. It's fascinating. It's worth checking out. Thanks so much for being with us today. 
Let's just keep pushing, right? I mean, we've got to push through this. We've got we've got to wake people up. We've got to make sure that people are registered to vote. We've got to make sure that people can vote. We've got to push back in every way we can, in every dimension we can, because our nation is at stake. The fate and future of this country is at stake. Let's not let a small band of right-wing haters uh, destroy our country. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. And be good to yourself and the people around you. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a good one. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 